Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice. It contains God's plan for the family. It also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're here to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes. We're glad that you've joined us today. Hope that you learned something about the Bible today. If you've called in a question or put one on our website, I hope we get to it today. But that's the way this program works. Uh, if you've got a question about the Bible, something that you've always wondered about, or maybe something we say will stir up a question, uh, just pick up the phone or log on and uh, put the question in there. We'll put it in our stack and we'll get to it as quickly as we can. So that's what we do here and we think it's a good way to study the Bible, a good way to help folks know their Bible a little bit better. I'm Steve Tandy and I've got two gentlemen that uh, answer questions each week in a fine way. Toby Levering's here. Good Hi, morning, Steve. Toby. Jeff Martin's back. Good morning, good Jeff. Good morning. Glad you're both here and studied up, ready to go. Uh, but we've got a question for our viewers. So you get the first one each week. Uh, where was the Apostle John when he received the Revelation? The last book in the Bible, uh, the Revelation of John, he was someplace when he got that Revelation. Where was it? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. And looks like Jeff drew number one today, so yep. you are the kickoff I'm today. First today, <laughs> viewer asks, why did Jesus say to call no man father? Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 9, so let's start there and see exactly what he said. It said, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Now, as with any verse in the Bible, and we use this word all the time, context is important. Um, because we have had other questions along these lines. In fact, I remember one not too long ago where someone's worried about what they should call their earthly father if they're not supposed to call any other man father. So context is important. And if we look at the rest of Matthew chapter 23, we can see that Jesus is in the process of rebuking the Pharisees. Uh, these were the people who were in religious power at that time, and they were abusing that power. They were putting themselves in holy places. They were making themselves appear holy before each other and before the rest of the people. And what they were doing was putting men in places that belong to God. And if you start back in verse 8, verse eight you can see this. It won't be on your screen, but I'll read it. It says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. You are not to call anyone father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Uh, Jesus was challenging uh, the power that they believed they had. Uh, Jesus is saying that all these men that he's talking to, these Pharisees, you are all the same. You're all brothers. You're on the same level compared to God and compared to Jesus. Uh, and Jesus, who is the greatest among you, will be your servant. So what we need to avoid here is men receiving accolades, positions, titles that very obviously belong to God. Uh, today, this would be less along the lines of calling your earthly father, father, and more along the lines of calling uh, a Catholic priest, father, and putting them in a holy place that, again, belongs to God. So, in, in a nutshell, that's why Jesus said to call no man father. 
All right, viewer, ask a question, two questions actually. What is the Holy Spirit and is it a person? Uh, well, just by the way the question is worded, we know we got a little work to do here. Uh, should be who is the Holy Spirit and yes, he is a person. So uh, I realize that's kind of common to think of the Holy Spirit as it and refer to him that way. Uh, we shouldn't do that. The Bible always calls the Holy Spirit he or him. Uh, so it, he is a person. Uh, actually, person has kind of a physical connotation to it. Uh, we look at there, there are three persons here on the panel today. And the Holy Spirit is not really a person in that sense. Personality might be a better term. Uh, he is one of the personalities of the Godhead, of the Trinity. Uh, and where we get that idea is by reading the Bible. You start through the Bible, and at first it talks about God created the world. And it's a term that just means deity, the, the divine power, uh, whoever that is, uh, created the world. And then you get over in chapter 1 and verse 26, and it says... God said, deity said, let us make man in our image. And all of a sudden we get to thinking, well, deity has more than one personality. And so as we read through the Bible, we find out that there is a God the Father uh, who calls himself Jehovah. Uh, there is God the Son who the part of the Trinity that came to earth, was incarnate, called the Messiah in the Old Testament, and then there is the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, who is active and is worshipped and uh, does all sorts of things throughout the Bible, empowering people and uh, encouraging them and leading them and all of that. So uh, we find those three distinct personalities, and yet the Bible says God is one. Uh, all of those personalities have the uh, the character of divinity. So uh, it's a spiritual concept, and that's one reason we as mortal beings have trouble figuring it out. Uh, but Holy Spirit is a person, should not be called it. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Uh, there he's talking about the Spirit. And the other one is John chapter 14, verse 26. And Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So there we see all three parts of the Trinity. So let's call the Holy Spirit a he, and uh, he is a personality. All right, Toby. Good answer. A uh, viewer wants to know, why does God allow such horrible things to happen in the world? Well, it's a natural question to ask when we see things happening that are uh, just unbelievable. Uh, certain things we see, they're unconscionable, and we just can't imagine how it is that a good, loving God would allow these things to happen. Um, God could have created a world where it was impossible to sin. He could have made a world where it would be impossible to commit any act of evil, uh, no matter how great or how small. Uh, the question, though, is would you want that? 
We live in a world where we have free will. You and I all have free will. And, uh, you know, you think about when you're driving down the road, uh, technically, if you go over the speed limit by one mile an hour, you're breaking the speed limit. You know, that's a sin. You're, you're breaking a law instituted among the authorities of men. Would you want God to make a world where it was impossible to break the law? Well, it, it's an interesting question to consider. Um, God could intervene every time any sinful action was committed, uh, but he'd have to intervene quite a lot. Uh, he could prevent murder and rape and terrorism, but he also would probably, if this world existed, intervene for speeding and what we call white lies and uh, slothfulness or laziness, idleness, and greed. Uh, God could judge and remove every person who ever sinned in any way, but my question is, who would be left? I wouldn't be here, <laughs> and you wouldn't be here either. So, when God allows free will, he allows the possibility, the potential for evil things, great and small, to happen. Uh, allowing the possibility of uh, evil also allows the possibility of good. Allowing the possibility of hate also allows the possibility of love. Uh, allowing the possibility of selfishness and greed also allows the possibility of generosity. And see, if we were to, if God just programmed us to do good and to be generous and to be loving, uh, well, if we don't make that decision on our own, we're just robots. <laughs> if there were no sin, uh, there, would, there could, would be no free will. Ultimately, I think we're better off when we have free will. Certainly, God wants us to do the right thing, but he's left that choice in our hands. And that's where true good and true love come from, when we choose to do what's right, to do what's good, to do what's loving. And so, yes, some will choose evil, and sometimes in a very horrific manner. Sometimes things will break your heart and just almost lead you to a place of, of total disgust. Uh, but you need to know that this not only breaks our hearts, but it breaks God's heart infinitely more. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 21, has uh, some practical wisdom on how to live as a Christian. And at the very end of that chapter, inspired by the Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes these words, and it's not on your screen, but you can look it up. He writes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah, there's a lot of evil in this world, but you know what I see immediately, oftentimes in the midst of tragedy and horrific situations, is good people doing good. Uh, people of light bringing the light into the darkness. Uh, people who are doing what God wants. So let's finish with one other scripture from the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 37, verses 5 through 7. Psalmist writes, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. God allows evil because he allows free will. Uh, but when people choose free will, don't be overwhelmed with it, but overcome it with good. Hope that helps. All right. Studying the Bible is pretty important to us here on Know Your Bible. That's why we spend all this time and effort uh, each week to answer your questions and be on the air and uh, try to help you know your Bible. Uh, but we can't give you what you really 
need to know from the Bible. Uh, you can only find that by studying it yourself, and God will reveal it to you and lead you to it, we believe. Uh, so we advocate home Bible study. And uh, we know a lot of our viewers already do that, are very familiar with their Bible, uh, spend time in it every day or every week. Uh, that's great, but we also have a lot of viewers probably that just never got a habit of studying the Bible, and we think that's a good idea. So we've got some ways to do that, some tools that we're happy to send you. Uh, here's a course that we'll send to you through the mail, one lesson at a time, and uh, grade it for you and return it with the next lesson. A good way to have a little accountability, a good way to learn about the Bible. Then after that, there's some other courses uh, that will keep you busy studying in your Bible for quite a while with our tools. And we've even got some online courses that we think are a great way to uh, study the Bible. If you'd like to do it that way, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, answer their questions, and you'll be signed up and start studying the Bible at home. So, uh, or anywhere you are, actually. That's the purpose of online. You can do it at work if you want, yeah. <laughs> on your break, whatever. So a lot of good ways to study the Bible. Uh, log on or call that number and get started. All right, uh, Jeff's up next, I think. Yep. Got one on original sin. All right. uh, if Jesus died on the cross for forgiveness of sins, did that include, include original sin? So let's tackle that phrase, original sin, first. Uh, there are a few different beliefs on original sin, but based on the, the wording of the question, I think the viewer is referring to the idea that all humanity is guilty of the sin of Adam, uh, and that's the reason that we all have sinful natures, even from the time that we're born. Uh, and, of course, this has led to other doctrines like infant baptism because if we're sinful at the time of birth, then we, we better go ahead and take care of that sin. Um, this type of concept is why Bible study is so important, like Steve was saying. Uh, original sin, the term, does not appear in the Bible. And the concept and the doctrine surrounding original sin um, is just not something that we, we find in the Bible. It's something that has been made by man. Uh, it's the product of human beings adding to the word where nothing existed. But uh, to answer the viewer's question about what sin was included in the forgiveness of sins, um, we can just we can start with logic. First of all, you look around us and you realize that all humans past a certain age are sinners. We know that by virtue of being human ourselves. We sin. Uh, we also know from looking around at the world that children are not sinful or not guilty of sin because they do not understand right or wrong so there's no way that sin can be passed on from parents to children Ezekiel 18:20 makes this clear it will not be on your screen but it says the one who sins is the one who will die the child will not share the guilt of the parent nor will the parent share the guilt of the child the idea that, that Christ died for our sins and His blood covered our sins and we are saved by grace, but we somehow still carry a certain type of sin that will be passed on to our, our children is not biblical at all. Uh, Romans 3, 23 through 26 gives us a, a great biblical view of sin and salvation. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And based on that verse, we know we have all sinned. We have all fell short of the glory of God. But the sacrifice of the Son of God is sufficient to cover all sin, uh, no matter how we're, we're labeling that sin, past, present, and future. So again, original sin is not a, a biblical concept, but if you're a believer, all sin is forgiven through the, the blood of Christ. All right. Thank you, Jeff. I got a really good question here. Viewers reading along and says, uh, Ephesians 5 talks about women submitting to husbands, and it seems like that could lead to abuse. Well, our viewer is pretty perceptive. That can lead to abuse. Uh, the Bible can be misused in many ways, and it has been uh, over the centuries. Uh, this verse or that the viewer is talking about, <coughs> excuse me, has been misused uh, throughout history and today. Uh, some people misuse it uh, to justify abuse of different kinds. Uh, submitting of women is a interesting topic. So let's just work through a little bit how that works, how a verse can be misused or how it can actually be understood. And uh, we'll put the full passage on the screen in a little bit, but first let's just play like I'm a kind of a Neanderthal guy and uh, I want my wife to do exactly what I say and nothing else. Uh, so I go to Ephesians chapter 5 and read this to her. Verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And that's where I quit. And I say, all right, that settles it. Uh, I can be domineering. I can rule this house. You have to obey. You have to submit, do whatever I say. Uh, stay in the kitchen and take care of the babies. That's what I want. Well, that's misuse, uh, but that's been done, and our viewer's right. It can lead to that kind of thing. Now let's play another game. Uh, I'm a Christian who wants to know how to get along with my wife. Uh, I want to know how to have a good marriage. I want to know what God wants. So I read a little more context than just those little verses that I read you, and here's what we'll see. It sounds a little bit different. So let's put this part on the screen. Uh, Paul, in a bigger context, says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, already there, wives are supposed to submit, husbands are supposed to submit, all Christians are supposed to submit. Then he goes on, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, now we've got the full picture. Uh, a marriage is a mutual submission. Uh, the husband loves his wife and gives himself up for her, uh, just like Christ loves the church. The Christ, Christ doesn't dominate the church, doesn't domineer it, rule it, abuse it. Uh, he loves it. He gave his life for it. And Paul says that's the way marriages should work. Husbands, 
you'd be willing to give your life for your husband. Later he says, uh, love her like your own body. And wives, submit. The, the husband is the spiritual head of the house. Uh, so you submit to him, but you do it like the church does to Christ. Now, those two little pictures I gave you there are completely different. Uh, and our viewers right. If you try the first one, yes, you can justify abuse and cause all sorts of troubles in marriages and in life. But if you read it like I did in the second one, you see how a good marriage is supposed to work and submission is part of it both ways. So uh, be sure you read a little context and not just one little verse, And uh, but appreciate our viewer for pointing that out and hope that helps you see what Paul was really talking about there. Tell me. We've got a question on giving, specifically on tithing. If you don't give 10%, does this mean you don't love God? All right. Well, giving 10% is something we call the tithe, and technically that was only part of the old covenant, the Mosaical covenant, something that was required under there. Sometimes you'll hear TV preachers tell you that you need to do that, that you need to give uh, give your 10% probably toward their ministry and maybe a little extra love offering here and there. Um, uh, the, the subject of giving has been, uh, Steve talked about abuse in the last question, uh, the subject of giving unfortunately has been abused by a lot of um, uh, people that are in it for the money. And uh, that's not the way it should be. Now, God's people are to be generous, and we are to give. Uh, that's part of the work of the church. So that is what we see in Scripture. Um, but there are people who abuse that. So we just need to understand this from a uh, biblical perspective, and that'll guide us properly. Under the New Covenant, there's no requirement to give 10%. You certainly can, and sometimes we'll say in this program, if you haven't been giving, it's a good starting point. But it's certainly not a requirement, and your giving really shouldn't be out of guilt or compulsion, uh, but it needs to be a decision that you've made out of reflecting on what God's given you and how he's blessed you and just a what you're deciding to return to him. Uh, the scripture says this pretty clearly, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, uh, the apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some people say, well, it makes me happiest when I have to give the least, so that's a cheerful giver. Well, that's not what this is saying. It's saying when God wants us to give, he wants it to be from the heart. We understand that from a human perspective. Parents want their children to be giving and sharing and but it's different when we tell them to do it you know if we hand them a quarter and say now you put that in the plate Jimmy uh, that's different <laughs> than when they uh, maybe take a little bit uh, of their own because they've decided to and put it in themselves we understand that it's different when you do it when it comes from your own heart and not because somebody's asked you to or you feel guilted into doing it. So that's the principle. You need to understand uh, that God doesn't love you any more or less based on your giving. But it is our opportunity when we give uh, to just let that be a reflection of our heart where our heart is with God. So you can love God and 
I'm sure there are people who love God very sincerely and really don't have the ability to give 10%. Okay, well, give what you can. <laughs> but as you give and as you grow and as you mature and see the opportunities that God gives you, uh, may you take those and may you grow in the grace of giving. And let's look at one more verse on the screen, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We expect growth in every other area of the Christian walk, and giving is no different. So I uh, hope that helps you. Uh, just as we grow in everything, we should grow in giving as well. Hope that helps. All right. Speaking of uh, TV preachers asking for money, uh, you may have noticed that's one thing we never do on this program. Uh, and that's because we're supported by the Churches of Christ uh, around our viewing markets, and we like to mention a couple of them each week and thank them for their support. Uh, if you live in central Kansas, uh, Emporia and Eureka are both congregations that support this program, and we appreciate their help. Uh, invite you to visit them sometime or any other Church of Christ in your, your neighborhood. You'd be warmly welcomed, and you'd find folks that uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. All right, Jeff, uh, All second right. chances. Oh, yes, yeah, a viewer hopes there's a second chance, I guess. But I, they say, I've heard that after a person dies, they will have a way to accept Jesus. Is that true? And there are denominations that teach this concept. I've, I've heard of this myself, and I can see how it will be a very convenient thing, especially if you were someone who didn't know for sure, and you didn't know about your faith, and you had some doubts. And, and so it was comforting for you to believe that after death, you would have one more chance to say, okay, yes, I think Jesus is real. Please take me into heaven. Uh, the problem is this isn't found anywhere in the Bible. Uh, the Word makes it very clear that we have only one chance on earth, and after that chance is judgment. Um, and Hebrews 9.27 is, is, shows this. So let's look at that together. It says, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, comes judgment. So by the time you die, it will be too late um, to believe, too late to overcome doubt, which is a pretty scary concept. Uh, this is what makes the good news so good. Christ died for us. His blood covered our sin. And if you believe that and you repent and put Christ on in baptism, uh, you don't have to be afraid of that judgment. So if you're trying to make that decision, you should do it as soon as possible. All right. Last question. And Cain and Abel viewer wants to know, were Cain and Abel twins? Well, we always say Cain and Abel together, so they kind of sound like twins. Uh, they were not twins. I think they probably had a family resemblance. They probably looked like each other a little bit. I have no idea what they looked like. Uh, but Genesis tells us, no, they were not twins. So let's read that for ourselves. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Uh, later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So, no, they were not uh, twins, identical or fraternal, either one. They were uh, brothers born at least nine months apart, I guess. Don't know, don't know how long they separated, but... 
All right, we are out of time for questions today, but we want to get our trivia question answered. See if you know that one. And this one was about the Apostle John. Uh, he was exiled, actually, and he received the revelation on the island of Patmos where he was imprisoned. And he explains that very early on in the book, Revelation chapter 1, the first few verses. He explains where he was and what happened and how Jesus gave him this uh, revelation to reveal to the seven churches. So, uh, interesting book, and that's where he was, stuck on an island by himself, we guess. <laughs> Glad that you've been with us today, and I uh, hope we got to your question. Uh, if not, we're going to try to get some more in next week, so we invite you to come back then. And until then, we just hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.